0: I invite you to take the word of the Lord and open it to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this morning as we continue our study through the book of Nehemiah. Today we come to chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the chapter, verses 1 to 18. As we read together, I'd like to ask that you would stand out of reverence for God's word if you are able. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, and we'll read uh, down through the end of the chapter. So let us hear what the inspired holy God has written, Nehemiah 8. The word of the Lord says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Metathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Malchajai, Hashun, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yaman, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masai, Kalita, Azariah, Yazabad, Hanan, Pelai, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength so the Levites calmed all the people saying be quiet for this day is holy do not be grieved and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them on the second day the heads of the father's houses and all the people With the priest and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast on the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths. As it is written, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word which gives life. Father, today as we turn our hearts and our eyes to your word here in Nehemiah chapter 8 father would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what only you can say and father we pray that your word would have its way that you would bring change in our lives that you would bring salvation that you would give strength conviction Perseverance, Father, we thank You for Your Word. Speak to us today from it, we ask. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray, amen. You may be seated. Question for you as we begin, how did God make the world and everything that we see? The answer is truly quite amazing and I would suggest it is just plain hard for us to comprehend. God created the world everything that we see with words. It was by the word of the Lord and God said let there be light and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And that is exactly what happened. Everything was created by the strong, powerful words of God. That that is just a truth that baffles me. Nothing is there. God speaks and it is there. And the word of God also creates The people of God. God's word creates and forms God's people. It was God who called Abram to leave the land of Ur. It was God who gave his people the Ten Commandments. It was God who spoke to call out his people from the earth. It was Jesus who spoke and called his disciples to come follow him. Yes, God's people are created by the Word of God. God, God's Word forms us. God's Word is to shape us. Even as we come to Him, how we live, how we act, how we believe, how we think, all of those things are formed by the very Word of God. The first six chapters of Nehemiah have focused on building the wall, being obedient to the work that God had called them to to do and all the opposition with which they had to persevere through. The rest of the book, however, focuses on building the people. Chapter 7, as we've seen, focuses on the people, lots of them mentioned. It's a chapter that lists the exiles that returned from Persia. And in chapters 8 and following, being obedient to the Old Testament law and God's commands will be front and center. The walls are rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, and now God's people need to be rebuilt by the Word of God. We're going to see three powerful truths this morning about the Word of God in this chapter. So we'll kind of wrap things around that framework. Three powerful truths about the Word of God in this chapter. The first is verses 1 to 8. We can say that God's word brings life. God's word brings life. When God does a work with his people, it will always include his word, his word. God's word, again, gives life. These are words of life. These are powerful words. These are effective words. God's word brings life. And in our text this morning, the work of God can be seen and how God's people desire to hear God's word. That in itself is a work of God. And it can be seen in how the leaders focus and prioritize God's word. So the people come together desirous of God's word and the leaders hold high the very word of God to form and create the people of God. So the first verse says, and all the people gathered as one man Into the square before the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel what a beautiful picture we see it all throughout these verses everyone was together and what do they do they called for Ezra to bring the law of God and to teach them Ezra was a scribe he was a contemporary of Nehemiah uh, the book of Uh, Ezra is first turned to the left from the book of Nehemiah. Ezra had given himself over to the study of the word of God as a scribe. Ezra returned to Jerusalem around 458 B.C. and Nehemiah arrived 13 years later, around about 445 B.C. And so Ezra had been preparing and studying the law of God, preparing to teach it. We see that in Ezra chapter 7, verse number 10. He had been studying, he was preparing himself to be able to teach the people of God the law of God. And what a scene is taking place here in chapter 8. God's people united together, it says, as one person calling for God's word to be read and to be taught. What a beautiful picture. A few things to note about this scene. First is what was exactly the book of the law of Moses? Uh, We we don't refer to the Pentateuch that way, probably don't even call it the Pentateuch. We just call it the first five books of the Bible is what is being spoken of here, of the book of the law of Moses that Moses had written. So it's referring there to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, about saying the song. The second thing to note here is the inspiration of the Bible. Did you catch that there? The text says, the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Do you see those two things together there? It was the law that Moses had written and it was the law and the books that God had commanded. Moses wrote it, God commanded it. This is just another example in scripture of the inspiration and of the authority of the Bible. This book, all of it, is the word of God. The God who created everything that we see By His words is the same God who spoke this very book that you probably have in your lap or in the palm of your hand right now. It is the Word of God. It is His inspiration, His breathed out by Him, written by men, inspired by God Almighty. That means this book is authoritative, our final authority. It is the sole authority for faith and practice, that is, there is not something on top of the book where you can say, well, the Bible says this, and you say, but so-and-so says this, right? Any sort of religion that tells you that, buddy, you you make a door and you run right out of it, right? God's word says this, ah, but here's what uh, ex-cathedra the pope can say this and call it just square with the word. We're gonna run directly away from anyone who holds to the authority of their words as the same as scripture. Just think about this fact for a moment. The Bible is a very old book. These are old words as we're reading. We're talking about 450 something BC. Written some 2000, 3000 years, and it is still authoritative and life giving. The words that we read each and every Sunday, they're very old words. And they are binding words. In fact, we tell people that they must live by, believe, and obey 2,000-some-year-old words, 3,000, 6,000. In what other arena of life is that true? Just ask you. Have you thought about it like that before? In what other arena of life do we still hold? Binding 2,000, 3,000-year-old words. When you go to the doctor's office and see a heart doctor, you hope he is not reading and studying 2,000-year-old books on how to understand the heart. You don't want to go to your dentist and to have your dentist practicing from thousands-year-old books that he considers are binding. Trust me, you want to see those latest degrees, don't you, on the wall? You wanna see the latest degrees of study that talks about the heart hanging on that wall, but have you ever considered when you come to church, what is it that we must hear and that we desire to hear? It is 2,000, 3,000 year old words that are still binding on every single one of us. These are old words, but they're God's words. They are inspired, they're authoritative, ancient words that give life. Verse two and three. We see this picture, it says, Ezra the priest brought this law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. They read from it, facing this, these varying uh, gates in the presence of the men and the women and all those who could understand. We see that theme repeated, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we have this picture of men, women, children, everyone who could listen and understand were there. I think that's just a reminder for us uh, that it's a-okay and good to have kids listen to God's word being preached and God's word being read in service. It teaches at the very least that these things are important and it teaches even more so than that, that our children might see a mom and a dad who view them as being very important and binding. Verse three states they were attentive, attentive to the book of the law. They were attentive to the Bible we all have access to the Word and to the Bible. Again, we have it at our fingertips. They didn't have their own personal copy. So what, what we see taking place here is both similar and different to today. It's both similar and different. We aren't in that same position as they were, which they wanted to know what God's Word said. They, they didn't say, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 27, let's read together. Nobody had a copy of the Word of God right, in Israel during this time. You you didn't have your your own personal copy. Your personal copy of the word in, in, in practical matters was the Levites. It was the Levites. And so we see this picture here of them coming very early to hear the word of God read to them so that they could know it, so that they could get the content of what was being spoken. We're not in that position today. We're able to read God's word and have God's word and know God's word uh, all throughout the week, right? We have that with us. But the thing that is similar that we need to take away from this is we likewise are called to be attentive to God's word, right? We have God's word. Are we attentive to it? They were attentive to the very word of God and they brought themselves physically to a place where they could hear the word of God. They had to get their ears literally within earshot so that they could hear it. They had to be attentive to it. They had to come to it. What does that look like for us today? What does that look like for you today? To be attentive to the word of God. If you were there on that day in Jerusalem would you be complaining about hearing the Bible read and explained from 6 a.m. to noon? And you think Adam's sermons are long. Do you, so they're coming and there for a long, long period of time, placing themselves underneath the word of God to expose themselves to it so that they might hear it. How about you today and your attentiveness to it? To bring yourself to a place to it to come to worship service, to be attentive to the words of God. When, when they're read in the opening, we're not just trying to find filler to put in the service. As Bethany or whoever comes to read Scripture, it's not like, well, we need to put this much time in. Why? I don't know. Why don't we just throw some Scripture in? That'll be nice. Why don't we pray too? That'll be, that'll be good. We'll do something different next week. No, it's what we're doing is we're putting the Word of God front and center let us be attentive to it place ourselves under it. in fact that's what we see taking place here verse number four and following speaks about a platform that they had built for the occasion so ezra and nehemiah would have had to have had this built beforehand you don't just throw up a platform to hold 13 people real quick on the spot they were prepared for this day that was to come the walls were being rebuilt Things were being put back together. And likewise, somewhere along that line, somebody's building a big platform that can hold all of these people that were showing that they are preparing for the word of God to come to them. And all the people on the platform, some 13 people pointed to the unity that was taking place around them. Verse five and following, we see this reverence for God's word. We see a reverence. So it says there that Ezra was above all the people. Right now it's not because Ezra was important, it was because the word of God was important. Importance not in the messenger, the importance is in the message. Every preacher knows God can use a donkey in the Old Testament, that gives us hope that he can use us today. The content was elevated, the content was honored and they literally put it above them so that they could hear the word of God. As we see here, the people stood as the word was read. This, of course, and these things are descriptive, they're not prescriptive, still a good thing to do to show honor and reverence for God's word. The people took part in worship. They spoke, they lifted up their hands, they bowed their heads, they put their faces to the ground. All of this was a part of worship. Then we come to verse seven and eight. I won't read the names of the Levites again, but halfway through 7, it says the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. We see the Levites and Ezra helping the people to understand the law. Again, what a beautiful scene this was if you can picture it in your mind. I don't know if all the people spread out and teach and explain like get into little little groups and that's how they do it Uh, it's hard to know exactly but what we can pick up on is the principle that is taking place in these verses they read from the Bible clearly giving the sense of it so that the people could understand what they were hearing okay it was read and explained to the people what is it that God's word is calling you to do. What are you supposed to do? We would call this, simply I think today we would call this exposition. You've heard the term expositional teaching and preaching, merely just exposing the text. What is it that the text says? Explaining it and applying it to your life. Exposing and explaining, whatever, whatever it says. I've heard uh, people describe that as just like being on an assembly line and taking a bucket of water. Whatever verse comes next, that's what you grab and you throw it out, and that's what it is. And you grab it and you throw it out, that's what it is. Here's what the Bible says, that's what we're to say and that's what we're to apply to our lives. And that's the picture that we get here in the Old Testament. Why? Because there is power in the word of God. In the New Testament, Paul will give the command to ministers to preach the word. To preach means to announce, to proclaim. That is to proclaim the truth of God's word. The call is for pastors not to teach or preach their own ideas, but to proclaim and explain and apply the very word of God. Because again, the power is in the inspired word of God. So we get an Old Testament picture of that New Testament reality in Nehemiah 8 it's the word taught it's the word explained that brings life to the people God is doing a work in their midst and his word is at the very center of it this has been and by God's grace will always be a hallmark of our church we hold high the proclamation of the very word of God let us all be united just like we see the, pic- the people here in chapter eight, they're united underneath the word of God. It brings unity as God's word is taught, as God's word is proclaimed. We unite underneath in submission to the very word of God. God give us, help us, have a reverence for the word of God. God help us to be attentive to it. Let us be united together. I know that it can be hard to be attentive, especially to messages sometimes if you're tired. And I think the answer to that is not to try to uh, make flamboyant the message so that people will, will hear and be attentive to it. I think the answer to that in our own hearts is to realize what it is that we are reading to realize that this is the very word of God and to give ourselves over to say, what does God say? I'm very concerned about knowing. I want to know what he says and I want to hear it and I want to seek to obey what he says. And so let us all have a reverence and a tentativeness to these words. God's word brings life. We see that in this passage as God is doing a work within them. The second powerful truth we see is God's word brings joy God's word brings joy, this is verses nine to 12. But joy wasn't the first response of the people, was it? Rather they mourned and they wept. You can picture the scene, here's Ezra, reading, 6 a.m. and onward, right, all the way up to around noon, and they're reading and explaining it, and what's the response of the people? They start literally, weeping why would they weep as they heard the words of the law read and apply why would they weep just consider some of the things that they probably heard they would have heard about the blessings they would have if they remained faithful to God's Word and of the curses that would come upon them if they were disobedient I'd place money, they read Deuteronomy 27, Mount Ebal there, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. They would have realized that they were in exile, not because God was unfaithful, but because they were unfaithful. They had not kept his covenant and they had reaped the curses for sustained disobedience. And as they heard these things they began to cry they began to weep but then we see Ezra and Nehemiah there the Levites told them not to weep not to weep, don't weep why would they do that well it says twice in the passage verse 9 to 13 in there the day is holy to the Lord your God now a day for weeping and mourning was coming that's chapter 9 we'll get to that Lord willing next week but this day when the word was read, it was a festival day. It was the day of trumpets. It was a time in their calendar when they were to be celebrating the provisions that God had given them. And the priest and the scribe told them not to mourn. So here's where we are in the calendar year. It's not a day for mourning where we actually find ourselves today in in a day of rejoicing. It was a day holy to the Lord that is It was a day set aside for God. It's set aside for him to rejoice. It was supposed to be a joyous time. And they had much to be thankful and joyful for. God had brought them back into the Promised Land. God had stirred up the heart of Cyrus and Artaxerxes to bring the people back into the land. God kept them safe from their enemies, from Sanballat and Tobiah. God kept them from internal division. And destruction it was a day to praise God not to mourn and this is seen by the command for them to have a fellowship meal you see that in verse 10 it says then he said to them go your way eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord sharing a meal a fellowship meal together has always been a hallmark of God's people and it's a theme, actually. You can run that theme all the way throughout Scripture of sharing a meal and fellowship together. Festival meals were no exception. Eating with one another meant accepting one another, it showed a common bond, a common unity. And, buddy, were they to eat it up on that day? Eat the best, the fat. Crochet that and put it in your kitchen, right? Eat the best, the fat. It's biblical right drink sweet wine probably wine mixed with honey and they were to send portions to anyone who had nothing so you see the picture of that day the people were weeping they learned from God's Word here's what you're supposed to do on this day it's a festival day eat a bunch of fat drink the sweet wine this is a day of celebrating celebrating and rejoicing if you see somebody in the land that does not have give to them freely so that they likewise might celebrate together. It was a day of unity, obedience to God's word. I think just as a side note, uh, this gives a good comparison to the problem Paul faced in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, where the people of God, you see he's, he's condemning them for their practice of communion and the Lord's supper, where the people who showed up early were eating all the food and drinking all the wine, before the others arrived, right? And so they couldn't have the Lord's Supper together because probably the people that didn't have to work as long a days as the others, they got there early and they just ate it all. And the people that had been working hard, got there and then there's nothing left for them to partake of communion together. And everybody's sitting over here eating all the fat, drinking all the sweet wine to themselves. And Paul condemns this disunity because it's disunity among the body. It is a division, they are not united. It's the same type of picture we see as a positive perspective here in Nehemiah chapter eight. So eating and talking with one another is a spiritual thing. It shows acceptance, it shows agreement. It's a biblical thing to share a meal with others and to share a meal together, even as a congregation. These things are good things let us also notice one of the reasons given why the people should not grieve and weep look at the end of verse number 10 it says there and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength they were telling the people to find their strength in doing what makes God happy follow this the joy of the Lord is your strength Do this, celebrate the festival, do these things together, share these meals together, celebrate this day, celebrate this feast, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were sad, they were down because of their sin and that is good, but Ezra wanted them to gain strength by considering that what they were doing made God happy. Doing what makes God happy Gives you a strength in your bones. When you find out what pleases God and you do it, it gives you strength. You know this to be true in your life. God was instructing them to be happy and to eat with one another. And the thought was if God is telling you to do this and if God wants you to do it, then find strength in knowing you are doing what God wants you to do this is a simple thing but it's a great reality doing what pleases God gives us strength in life it's like fuel for our tanks when the joy of the Lord is our strength the joy of sin begins to lose its power and we begin to draw joy from doing what makes God happy and not what makes us happy think about these things consider Ways in your life of how you can be obedient to the Lord to do what he tells you to do and find joy in doing it because you can say in your life I'm doing what God is telling me to do God instructs me to do this and I'm going to do it and I'm going to find joy in doing it how would God have you interact just a couple examples real quick there's myriads Uh, a couple in your relationships Right, for those of you that are married, how would God have you interact with your spouse? You say, Well, I treat my spouse. If they treat me nice, I treat them nice. If they treat me bad, I treat them bad. That's exactly how this works. Right? They talk to me nice, I talk to them nice. They talk to me rude, I give it right back. And I find joy in doing that because it makes God happy. Right? Is that the flow of how that is to work? No, the flow is. Even when we receive something negative, what should be our response to that? Let me be obedient to the Lord. This is how God wants me to treat my spouse, and I'm going to treat them this way, and I'm going to have strength in it because that's what makes God happy. My obedience is not determined upon the person and what they do to me, as if I was some ATM machine that they push my buttons, and here's what you get. No, I'm gonna do because God tells me to do and I find joy and strength in doing that. Whether you're married, whether that's other sort of relationships, how does God, even if you're single, how you treat other people, how you speak to them, how you interact with them, does how God instructs you shed light upon how you respond? How would God have you go about your job, the way you do your work? Doing all things that are pleasing unto the Lord, to find joy in working, how God would have you to work. And just just problems that we face, difficulties, struggles with sins that you face. Here's kind of the principle of what we're trying to uh, uh, belabor. Is those things that you find difficulty in, go to God's word, find out what God's word tells you to do. And do those things and you will find out even if you don't feel like it as you do those things you will gain strength by being obedient to God you will find joy in doing that some of the t-ball things of those to do or coming to worship God instructs us to come to worship that's kind of a t-ball I can come come to worship even just thinking about that of coming on Sunday God is pleased with that so let's go So let's go. I think one of the other T-balls is communion. When we celebrate communion, one of the facts, I love it. I love it, many reasons. One of them is, Jesus said, do this. And it's just great. Say, Jesus said, do this, and you do it, and you do that. It's just just a wonderful sort of thing to, to think about it like that. This is pleasing to the Lord, and to take that same reality in our lives. As they are instructed here, don't be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't feel like rejoicing because you feel the weight of your sin. But what I'm telling you is this is a festival day. You are to rejoice and God wants you to rejoice. It makes God happy when you rejoice. So rejoice and gain strength from that. Let us have that attitude among us that we find strength in doing what God instructs us to do. And I think you can say in your Christian life, even when you kinda know you need to do something and you don't wanna do it, that when you go to do it, and you should, don't let your obedience be determined by your feelings, right? But when you go to do it, don't you get a sense of joy in doing it after the fact? You're like, I know God told me to do this and I'm happy I did this. That's what we see taking place in verse number 12. It says here, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They understood the word of God and how they were to act and they rejoiced because they understood God's word. Doesn't it likewise make you happy to know here is what God's word says and to live in obedience to it. Knowing God's word brings joy. It brings life to the people of God. Let us have reverence for it, let us be attentive to it. It brings joy, God's word brings joy because you know what God is instructing you to do and that further encourages and fuels your obedience and that's where it leads us lastly. Third thing we see about the word of God, God's word brings obedience. God's word brings obedience. James James teaches us in the New Testament that we are called to be doers of the word and not hearers only God's word is living and active and in the life of a believer there will be fruit There will be change when God's word is received obedience follows from that and We always hammer this right. It's not our obedience that saves us. It is the obedience of Jesus Christ that saves us that is what brings us salvation we come as sinners that is our message that's the message that we proclaim as a people is that we are sinners and we have broken God's law that he taught us we've not kept it we've not thought right we've not spoken right we've not done right but Jesus has and Jesus went to the cross to die in the place Of his church and if you trust in the promise of God you will be forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ and what he has done and so we confess faith in Jesus we come to God through Jesus Christ and now we're following after him and now we don't have to worry about obedience anymore we just chuck it out the window and say I'm glad I'm saved by grace I can just go on my life and do what I want no right that's not what we do No, we begin to grow in our good works and the good works of God within us and the fruit of the spirit because the word of God is living and active. And so for the believer, it brings about change necessarily in their lives. Obedience flows and that's the picture we see here in in Nehemiah chapter eight. And if we wanna find out what pleases the Lord so that we might do it, today for us, where do we look? Where do we look to find out what pleases the Lord? Do we look inside of ourselves? Cringe, right? I think this would make God happy, cringe. Here's how I like to view God, kind of cringe at these statements. No, to know what pleases the Lord, we look to His inspired word. It's exactly what the Israelites did here in chapter 8 it says on the second day the heads of the father's houses and all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law the heads of the families got together they had heard the law already roughly 6 a.m. to noon they did their celebration next day what do they do we need to find us a Levite what they're saying is we need to find us the Bible we need to find What God's Word instructs us to do and that's exactly what they did the leaders came together so that the leaders could take what they had learned and teach their families and others God's Word we need to get God's Word so that we can teach God's Word to others and know how to live our lives and know how to lead our families and know how to lead in the community where God has placed us so that we can be honoring him so they ran right to the word to study it You can see how God's word is so central. It is so simple, yet it is so profound to know what pleases the Lord, we need to know the Bible. For in the Bible, we find what pleases the Lord. Well, when they began to read the Bible, they began to find things that they were not doing and things that they should do, imagine that. They found things God had instructed them to do and that they had not yet done. Listen, so what were they supposed to do? They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Here's what they are to say. Go out into the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So what do they do? God, that's crazy. Why would you want us to do that? I mean, do we have to get palm tree? I mean, can't we get some other type of trees? I mean, it'd be a lot easier, Lord, if we just kind of did this. Wouldn't that be better, God? Was that their attitude? Nope, nope, nope. What do they do? God's word said... Do this. So the people went out and brought them and made booze for themselves and each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the houses of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. They did exactly what God had said. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Joshua or Yeshua, the son of Nun, to the day of the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. They found out what. They were to perform, to perform this celebration for the Feast of Booths. When was the last time you celebrated this feast? Shame on you, no, that's not our application, right? What did this, what was the purpose of this feast? What was this Feast of Booths? Well, it was to celebrate the harvest season, two things, that's A, and B, it was to remind them of their wilderness wanderings and how God provided for them in the wilderness to celebrate the harvest season, to remind them of the wilderness wanderings and how God had provided for them. So they literally were to go cut down these leafy trees, make a shelter, I don't know, use your imagination. It it wasn't big. Make a shelter, like camping, in their yard and on the roof. Can you picture the scene? I mean, this is Jerusalem, there's lots lots of people in there. It would be packed full of tent-like structures on their roofs, flat roofs, don't think our roofs, that would be very difficult and dangerous. They had flat roofs, they build these, and then you see them on courts, you see them around the gates, all the people in these these booths. So you just picture it in your mind's eye of looking at Jerusalem and you see all these things and what would that remind them? What would that remind them? The wilderness. We were in the wilderness living and God provided for us. And God brought us back to this place. He provided for us out of nothing. It was the wilderness, the dirt and rocks and sands. God provided for them. It's what it was to do, it was to remind them of that. In the barren land, God provided. He took care of them. The text says, for from the days of Yeshua the son of Nun Joshua to the day to that day the people of Israel had not done so now literally they had done so since the time of Joshua of course but the point is they had not kept it like this and it has been currently being kept think about it for just a moment God was doing a great work among his people just like Israel came out of Egypt And he brought them out and through the wilderness into the promised land. So also now God's people had been taken into captivity, into Babylon and into Persia. And now God was bringing his people back to the promised land. It was a similar type of picture. And in that way, it hadn't been the same since. This was a momentous occasion. You can see that in the text. It states, and there was great rejoicing. The people were happy to do it. Happy to build these things, happy to be reminded of God's provision for them, what God had done. They took these things to heart. They understood what it meant, and they were glad, and they rejoiced in it. We are now living in the new covenant. God has not called us to keep the Feast of Booths. Those things have been fulfilled in Jesus. That does not mean there are not things for us to do and God has instructed us to do especially in the new covenant right we have just thinking on on that level of things we have baptism and we have communion we have the Lord's Supper signs of the new covenant things that we celebrate things that we do we should learn from this passage to do those things with rejoicing The the repetitive these were repetitive we do them with rejoicing leaning into them knowing and trusting in what they point us to even as we consider communion knowing that the red nature of the fruit of the vine is pointing us to the very truth and reality that Jesus's blood covers our sins that the bread points us to the reality of the body of Christ that was broken for you and was broken for me Each time we take those things, not not for that just to be some sort of thing that we do as Israel went through many things that they were to do in the calendar year. Likewise us, that is something that we do, that we lean into, that we're attentive to, and that we celebrate and receive what it points us to. The general truth we see in this last section is that God's word brings about obedience. God's word brings about good works. It brings fruit. So the exhortation for us today is to take the things in front of you, find out what God's word says about them and obey. The things that we face, for this to be a constant reality in our life. What are those things? How would God's word instruct me to live and by God's grace in my life, let me seek to live in obedience to his word. Come to him, to come to his word. To come to his word with that attitude of let me be molded by it. That's a very humble way to come to the word of God. Let us have that attitude about us both individually and corporately. I humbly come to the word of God to be molded by Buy it. We need, as the New Testament tells us, we need to have our minds renewed. Man, you know that's true. I know that's true. This world does not point you to the things of God. This world does not encourage you to obedience of God. Most all things on TV, and just think about TV and popular music, do these things point you to celebrate the things of God? To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus? Is that the water we swim in all the time in this world? <laughs> it goes the other way, doesn't it? It goes the other, the other way. We need God's Word. We need to renew our minds. We need to place ourselves under it and be attentive to it. Brothers and sisters, let us give ourselves over to that task individually and as that groups together corporately as us as a people to be molded by it there was great renewal in Nehemiah chapter 8 the renewal is centered on the Word of God it's centered on the Bible let us receive it find strength in doing what pleases the Lord and let us ever be changed by it producing good works will you join me in prayer Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. Your word creates and forms your people. So, Father, would you help us as we seek to, to obey your word, as we first seek to obey it, to realize that we can't obey it and that we need Jesus Christ to obey it for us to forgive us, to die for us. And as your people and as your church, Lord would you help us we pray by your grace, fill us with your spirit that we may grow as your New Testament tells us that we may produce fruit, the fruit of the spirit at work within us to your glory, all pointing to you because you have done it all. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.